0: Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody upstairs in the Well Cafe. It is good to be with you in church today. Uh, my name is Johnny. If we haven't met before, I serve as the lead pastor here uh, for this worshiping community that we call The Well here at First Methodist Mansfield. I'm so glad you're here uh, today because we are beginning a brand new series today called Seeds of a Better Life. Uh, it's just fun to start a series, new beginnings. You know, we, we come off Easter and our, our Lenten uh, time in Luke. And, and that was good and created a great foundation for us, and we're ready to move forward with that into something new. Uh, but I want to start today by sharing with you my appreciation for the hundreds, literally hundreds of you uh, throughout Holy Week on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and even the days uh, leading up to that. Uh, that helped out with our Easter services, whether it was by uh, holding doors open for people and greeting them with a smile, whether it was being an usher, helping people find their seats, Uh, it could have been uh, helping with offering, it could have been any number of things, playing in bands or orchestras or singing in choirs or countless other things that took place behind the scenes. Hundreds of you helping out with that, as well as uh, all of you that invited a neighbor or a co-worker, uh, a family member, uh, brought somebody with, uh, with you that was in from out of town, uh, all of you, because of that, because of your invitation, because of your hospitality, because of your service, uh, we were able to celebrate the resurrected Christ at Easter with 6,712 people that week. <clears throat> And that hand is for you. It's for you because you did that. You know, God, God is the one that works through things, but I believe firmly that God works through the willingness and faith of others as well. So as we come together in solidarity of faith and as, as we come seeking to partner with God in that great work, God uses you in that way through your faithfulness and your service. So I'm just so thankful for you and, and being a part of a church that is so deeply committed to that to making sure everybody gets to hear that good news and feels welcome when they hear it. So, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. All right. Now, if you don't know, I have a six-year-old son. And if you have had kids, uh, especially small ones or small at some point, you know that those early years, like, growth happens like this. Like, am I right? Like, it seems like when they wake up every day, they're at least four inches taller. They know things. You're like, where, where did you get that? Like, they know things. Like, how do you know this stuff? They it's just amazing to watch how their lives are just being shaped daily. Right there. And so much of it, especially what they're learning in school and at home, so much of it is such, it's such foundational knowledge. Right? That as they learn it, it's it's the gate, right? It's the basics, the beginnings, the tools that open up the doors to these worlds, right? where they get to explore and discover new things every day. I mean, it's amazing to watch his little mind working and how excited he gets when he realizes he can do something. For example, he's currently learning to read, which is like the cutest thing and the most annoying thing in the world, right? (laughs) He's learning to read, and it's, it's 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 just so fun to see him get his books out and, and you know sound out the words and start to read and get excited whenever he figures out a new word. Uh, but then you know at the same time he's reading everything around the house and signs when you're driving or. You hear him sounding out words while you're waiting in line like to check out at like Target or Kroger or something and you're like what is what is he you turn around and he's holding like the tabloid magazine like trying to figure out <laughs> uh, no 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 don't read that <laughs> But pretty soon in a few years he's you know his reading will advance and you know, all of life requires reading, right? Like the whole world is open to you because now you can read. And, and soon enough, he'll be picking up books that have less and less pictures in them and more and more words. And, and pretty soon, like that, that, that world where he gets to use his imagination, right? Like the author's words start painting this uh, on the canvas of his mind, right? His imagination starts to, to form this place that he gets to reside in for a while, that's, I mean, if, if some of you aren't readers, you're like, that sounds blech. But for those of you that are, you know what that's like to get lost in a book, to get lost in somebody else's world that they painted for you. And, and you're there, and I can remember that. I can remember, and that's why I'm so excited for it. I can remember that age when you can start to read those books and you just totally get lost in those stories, right? Uh, I, I remember going on adventures with the Hardy Boys. Did, did anybody read the Hardy Boys adventures? Maybe you're a Nancy Drew person, I don't know, but... The Hardy Boys, I loved them. Or um, the, the book, The Hatchet, whenever I was young. Nobody? Okay. Well, this kid, like, is in a plane, and it crashes into the woods, right? And he's, like, 12, and he survives on his own out in the woods. It's an incredible book. You should read it now as adults. I mean, I'm less impressed with Bear Grylls now, like, this 12-year-old is doing it. Come on, man. He wasn't even, like, an army ranger. He was just a kid. And of course, like the Chronicle of Narnia, that was the first book I just couldn't put down, Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe. My parents would be calling me like, come it's time to eat. And usually as a kid, like I can't wait to eat, but like I couldn't put the book down. I was just sucked in. But one of my favorite things to read, maybe this was you too, one of my favorite things to read was the Choose Your Own Adventure books. Does anybody remember those? Yeah. Choose Your Own Adventure books. I, I Gosh, I loved those things. I mean, they're, they were unlike anything else because they looked like a book. And when you opened it up and you started to read, you realized that unlike other books, you weren't simply a casual observer of what was going on in this world that the author was painting for you. You found out very quickly that you were in the book. The book was about you, in fact, because it addresses you and you have to make decisions, right? You become an active and full participant. The path that you choose in that book determines the outcome of the story. You get to choose it. And so you would read and you would open up and you're like, oh my gosh, this is different. And you would read, like, you walk up down this path of overgrown grass and weeds and the rusty gate eh, opens up and you walk up to this scary monster house and you have two choices. Do you knock on the door or do you turn around and go home? If you knock on the door, turn to page three. If you want to turn around and go home, just close the book because you're boring. Like, (laughs) (laughs) it's done. (laughs) The end. I loved those books, you know, because if the story didn't end the way you wanted it to, if you made choices and decisions throughout the story and it didn't end the way you wanted to, maybe you fell in a pit of snakes or like you got stuck by the the glue trap or something, I don't know, whatever, the big giant spider web. Whatever it was, if it didn't turn out good, you just start over. You make different decisions and then... Figure out the right ending. If you were like me, though, you didn't do that because you were just too nervous and making the wrong decisions anyways, and so you just thumbed through the book until you found the best ending, and you're like, okay, now I'll just work backwards from there. Like, <laughs> not sure that's how it's supposed to work, but I just want to bypass all the stress and guessing. I just go right to the end, right, and figure out what the, what the best ending is, and so I can just get there, make those decisions that get me to that place that I want to be. And I, and I think of books like that and, and I, I really, I, I was looking on Amazon, I was like this close to buying like sets of these things because I just wanted to read them again and I thought Charlie would enjoy them. But like I was thinking about that, I was like, you know, life would be great if I just knew, like here are all, all these options, right, for your life. Some of them are not good, but here's, here's the good options and here's the better option, right? Like here's how your life could go. And to know what that is and then to be able to walk backwards through the major life decisions and choices that I would need to make in order to end up there, that would be just so perfect and great. I wish I could know those things. And in some ways, uh, we can't. But in other ways, I think we can. And I think that's what Psalm 1 uh, really is trying to get at here. Psalm 1 wants to tell us that you can know the better ending. You can know what the better life is. And there are certain choices that you know you can make to end up there. Now, Psalm 1, if we were to look at the Psalms, you were to thumb through your Bible, many of you have read the Psalms. If you were looking for it, all you have to do is just like, right in the middle and just open your Bible up and it's probably the Psalms. There's 150 of them. And if you were to thumb through the Psalms and you were to look through them and read them, which many of you I know have, you would find all sorts of things. You would find hymns, songs, poems, laments, like people crying out because they're, they're upset or they're wondering where God is. They're angry or they're sad. What you'll find there is a collection of these artistic expressions of the deepest human emotions and ponderings of God. I mean, they are rich with with emotional expression of the human condition. One of the great early church thinkers of the third century, his name is Athanasius. That sounds like either like a nasal problem or like... It's either that or a really important historical thinker. It's like one of the two of those things, right? Uh, What Athanasius said is that within the Psalms are represented and portrayed in all of their great variety... The movements of the human soul. Oof, that's powerful stuff. But not Psalm 1. That's not what Psalm 1 is. You read through the Psalms and you find all these expressions of the human soul. But Psalm 1 is not that at all. And so Psalms existed, right, in in the people of Israel. They were something that existed. And they all existed individually. And when they put them in a collection... All 150 that made the cut, and they put them in a collection, they called it the Psalms. They intentionally put Psalm 1 at the beginning. Because of exactly what it says, and what it wants for the people that will interact with the Psalms. Psalm 1 opens up the entire collection of 150 Psalms with not a hymn or a poem, but a beatitude. Right? Beatitude might sound familiar if you've been in and around church for a while. When you open up the Gospel of Matthew and uh, you turn to chapter 5, Jesus does the Sermon on the Mount, and he opens up his sermon with Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Blessed are the meek. Uh, Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are thes. It's a Beatitude. A Beatitude is a statement about human existence. It is meant to describe an ultimate truth or a reality about our lives and how we live them. That's what a beatitude is meant to do. And so when it says, blessed are the, this isn't a bestowing of a blessing. That's an act of God. This is a description of a people. These are the blessed ones, the ones that live the better life, the blessed life, the full life. This is them. This is what their life looks like. The reality that Psalm 1 describes for us here is that there are two paths or journeys that life can go on. Two ways of living, and each has their own destiny. So if life is a journey, living is the path that we choose to go down on that journey. And according to the psalmist, one of those paths leads to the blessed life, or the full life, or the, the better life, and the other one leads to destruction, or the wasted or empty life. And it's also, I think this is so cool, the people that wrote these things are so smart, man. Like, if you look at it, that's the beginning and ending words, too, blessed and destruction. Like, that's, that's, they set that up on purpose, and, you know, it's just fun to notice those things. So they see that these are the two paths, on opposite end of the psalm, right? There is the blessed life, and there is the life of destruction, the life that perishes, that is empty and wasted. And the, the series that we are beginning today, The Seeds of the Better Life, is seeking exactly that better life, and we want to plant the seeds of that better life today. So we're going to look a little bit at that, because all of us, all of us here, no no matter where we are on the faith spectrum, how we would grade or evaluate ourselves as a person of faith, or even if we would do that at all, we all have this notion, we're all drawn to this idea, this deep desire within us for better, right? We all want better. I don't know anybody who wants worse. That doesn't make any sense, right? Like we don't go to the gym or uh, seek out a new job or uh, relocate to a new community if it's our choice to do these things or come to church and sit here because we want our lives to be worse than they are already. We want them to be better. We do all of these things and so many more just just to find that little bit of better because we all share that ambition to be better and we want better for our lives. And that's a good thing. We each are seeking that. But the issue, the problem that we run into is when we have to define what better is. As soon as we have to try to define what the better life is, we run into a little bit of of a problem because we Often, thanks to the culture we live in, the waters that we swim in in our life, right? The, the advertisements we're surrounded with, the, the, uh, the narratives that we hear out in the world. What we often hear, the words we often associate with better are things like newer, bigger, exclusive, faster, cheaper, easier, thinner, younger, wealthy, independent, influence, right? Uh, immediate. Phrases like climbing the ladder, increased security, with a hemi in it, right? Like, that's that's those are the things that we associate with better. And those things certainly are better. And those words fill these narratives and these promises that surround us in our lives, and we hear them, and we start to evaluate our own life up, you know, with that rubric, like, is my life, you know, am I, am I more and more independent, self-sufficient? Am I... You know, is life easier, or am I getting things cheaper? You know, everybody hates to hear that somebody bought the same thing that you did, but they got it cheaper than you. And that make you feel like, oh my gosh, what am I doing wrong in this life that I got, that, that I paid 10 cents more than you did? We begin to associate the better life solely with these words, not that, that they're bad. They're not bad. Our lives would feel better if we had most of those things, right? If we had just a little bit more for a little bit less, and if it came a little bit faster and a little bit easier, that would be great. I feel like that would be wonderful. And yet we often know many of the promises that are made using words like that are shallow and empty. They're hollow. And they'll never be enough because whatever it is will soon not be the newer thing. It'll be the older thing. And you'll need something newer the little bit of whatever you got will soon not be enough. We each, in our own unique way, seeking better. We all want that. And I think we would all agree, once we start getting to the definitions of what better is, I think we would all agree that we want that as well, together. But the purpose of this series is to figure out how to see it and achieve it. in a way that is rooted and planted and authentic instead of a way that is fluttering in the wind. So the challenge we face is this. What exactly does better mean? Well, Psalm 1 says that within all of the uniqueness and individuality that each of our particular lives express, like everything that is unique about you and your life, and your story, and how you ended up here, and all the particularities, and all of the exceptions, and all that, everything, right? All of that together. When we, when we take into account all of our individuality and particularity of our own lives, we still find that there are ultimately two ways that your life's journey your life's journey can take. Two ways. The way of the righteous, and the way of the wicked. Amen, see you next week, right? Like, <laughs> So self, self-explanatory, we know what it is now, right? The way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. And I don't know about you, when I come across words like that in Scripture, I kind of go, like, like, what does that mean? <laughs> and I, I don't want to be wicked, nobody wants to be wicked, right? Like that, Unless you're from Boston, but like, that, you know, that's... <clears throat> Nobody wants that, right? We all Of course that's what I want. I want to be righteous, of course. The troubling thing is, is, as we read these in English, and we read them in our context here today, I think it's absolutely possible to read it just as is, and go, like, if you get out of that, that the way of the righteous is to do good things and be a good person, and the way of the wicked is to do bad things and be a bad person, like, that's pretty good, right? Like, Yes, go do good things with your life, right? Like, please, if you're choosing two ways, and those are the two ways that Scripture jumps out to you that says, this is the way to go, then yes, I think there's meaning there, and I think we could all read that at face value and get it, but I also think there's something a little bit deeper that I want to take us for just a minute. Because the psalmist, as we'll see, understands these categories as righteous and wicked, right? These categories that we often, and, and, and to some extent rightfully so, associate with moral categories. But the psalmist thinks a little bit differently about these categories of righteous and wicked. And we'll see that throughout Psalm 1 here. But the reason, here's the reason why, the reason that they think differently about righteous and wicked, because... It understands the source of righteousness and the source of goodness. And if righteousness and wickedness are things that you can achieve on your own, right? If righteousness is something that you say, here's the checklist of good things to do, and I do all of those things, this becomes self-righteousness. Because I've done it myself. I don't... Thanks, God, for the list. Like, you know, this, this was your contribution, and now I will do the rest. I take it from here. This becomes self, a way to grade yourself, a way to achieve things yourself, to achieve grace yourself. But these two ways that the psalmist talks about here in, in Psalm 1 the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous, I had those mixed up. One of those, the way of the righteous, leads to the better life. It's described as. Uh, The planted life, right? A tree that bears fruit as a result of its proximity or relationship to the source of life. The other way, the way of the wicked, is really, according to the psalmist, just an illusion. It's empty. It's described as having no more substance than chaff. Right when you take the wheat out, it's the empty shell that's left over. It's nothing. It's weightless. It has no substance to it. And when people are separating the wheat and the chaff, have you ever seen this? Does anybody know how this works? Like you have this big basket of like wheat, and it's kind of cracked open, and you just you're tossing it up and down. And the wheat, the substance, the thing that you want, remains in the basket because it has weight to it. But the chaff, as it comes up in the air, the wind just blows it away. That's how it gets separated. It has no more substance than chaff that the wind blows away because it's empty and hollow. It's a way that has no connection to the source of life, so it will ultimately lead to a dried-up life, malnourished, and even as far as perishing or destructed. destruction. Not destructed. What might become noticeable, as we have been <clears throat> hinted to see that It might mean more than simply moral categories. What we might look at when we look at what the righteous way is and what the wicked way is, we might start to see that it's really a relational category rather than simply a moral one. It is where the way, the life, right, where that journey resides. Does it reside next to the stream of water, a source of life? Or is it residing up in the wind, being tossed about because it's empty and hollow? It is a relational category more than a moral category, although we do know that the direction our life takes, the way we walk, the source of life that we draw from will affect the outcome of our life. You can see that in the tree, right? The tree didn't put the river there, but as the river flows by it, its roots dig deep underneath the soil to draw in the nutrients from the soil there, to draw in the water. And then you see the evidence of that life on the tree as as it flourishes and it grows and it bears fruit. A life situated near the source of life on the righteous way, right, will bear a resemblance To that way. But it is not primarily about that resemblance. It's primarily about where it's situated because that tree, as badly as it's gonna wanna produce fruit, if it's not near that river, that's not gonna happen. It's a relational category. And the division that we often use with righteous and wicked to divide people is really a division of the heart. It's our heart that is drawn to two different things. Our soul, our spirit is drawn in two different directions. The direction that has fear and worry in our life, and so we grasp at these things that are flying by us in the wind that we want so bad, we think it's gonna make our life whole and healthy. It's gonna make us grow and be fruitful. Or there's this other thing, this other side of our heart that's drawn to something deeper. And it's harder to chase that one because you have to be patient. It's not immediate, it doesn't come quickly. It's much slower, yet it's much more fruitful. And how does that happen? How do we choose which way is which? Right, it's great to have the metaphor and the source of life as the river, but which way? The righteous of the weak. How do I know what path I'm on? How do I know which way, which direction my life is journeying? Well, it says there in Psalm 1. It's the law of the Lord. Those who delight in the law of the Lord, who meditate on it night and day. The law of the Lord again this is something that i think when we read it at face value we definitely draw some truth from it and we can live by that but i want to i want to pull back the veil a little bit for you as well and show you something just underneath the text that Honestly, I get paid to study this stuff. <laughs> and you know, like this is what I this is what I love to like excavate out of the text and show you and, and and tell you. But like one of the things that gets lost in translation, I think, a little bit between us and ancient Hebrew people, ancient Israel who write these things down, when they say thing, when we translate the word Torah to law, we lose a little something. Cause when what do you think of when you think of law? Right? You think of rules. Here's the rules. You either live by it or you break it, right? Like that's, that's how this works. But it's so much, Torah is so much more than law. And if we were to translate Torah and understand it only as law, it's to do something that is so unfortunate and, and ultimately misleading when it comes to the way it was used in Scripture. Torah, the word actually comes from the verb to teach. And so it really means instruction. Instead of law. But that doesn't even quite capture the fullness of what is meant, what is felt when the word Torah was used in ancient Hebrew. To speak of it more comprehensively would be like this Torah means the sum total of all the gifts that God has offered to Israel in what became their Bible laws, poems, stories, wisdom, promises, covenants, and rituals. To delight in Torah was to ponder it. There's one author that puts it this way. It's to swim in the vast ocean of God's love and commands for God's people. And that just that, that, that gets it right there. If Torah was the ocean, to ponder it, to meditate on it night and day, is to swim in that ocean of God's love, God's way, and God's will. It's just to be present in there in God, to be immersed in God. That way you are absorbing up that grace and goodness and your life becomes transformed because you're there. The secret sauce to the better life is not getting something cheaper or faster or or more immediate or making it more equitable. All of that is great and we often associate it with better. But the better life is the life that is planted next to the source of life. It's planted next to the source of life. The better life is one that begins with the small seed. A seed that is planted in fertile soil that's patiently nurtured so that in the appropriate course of time it can grow and it can flourish because it is right there. Getting stronger and healthier, growing more stable and secure, not because it sought those things first, but because it planted itself in the place that it needed to be. And so its roots grow ever deeper into that soil, soaking up the nutrients from the soil that is provided there from the river. And all of that takes place underneath the surface where no one can see. But on the outside, even to the casual passerby can look and say, that's a healthy tree. I can see that tree is healthy. It's bearing fruit. Its leaves do not wither. I can see. And it's all because of that river flowing beside it. The location, the proximity of that tree. To its source of life. The better life is a planted life. Psalm 1 according to a renowned Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann says it this way. Psalm 1 artistically presses the defining questions of life. To what is one devoted in life? How does one move forward in hope And what gives us the most basic direction in our life? These questions are what Psalm 1 seeks to answer. And the vivid, poetic imagery invites readers to give attention to God's teaching and instruction in all of Scripture and in God's continuing presence and activity in the world all around us. As we continue to let our life be drawn toward God first, to be rooted and planted in God's word, and God's will, in God's way, we will find ourselves planted next to the source of life and actually able to feel and achieve the better life. In the following three weeks from today, we're going to be looking at three very specific things that we believe are those seeds to the better life. The things that we plant that help us be there uh, near the source of life and draw from it the life, the better life that we so desperately want. And then the final week, we're going to share a framework with you that will hopefully help you continue that formative work in your life. These next three weeks are about transformation, and the last week is about continued formation that will help you to encourage uh, encourage you to continue nurturing those things that you have planted. But today I want to end with this final question. Which way are you going on the journey of your life? What is it that directs your life? Because it's not so much about where you are currently, but the direction you're going. The planted life means you are moving in the direction toward God, right? You are moving in closer proximity to God's Spirit, and that becomes the thing that directs your life. The way of the righteous and the way of the wicked are two paths that categorize our hearts, the direction of our hearts. It's not a division between people. It's a division within us. And choosing that way of the righteous is choosing the way toward God to be planted firmly in his love and grace. So which way are we choosing? The one that ultimately ends up empty? Or is it the one that leads to life? Meaning, purpose, authenticity. Because deep down, that's what we all want. When we, when we come to a place like this, right, and, and, and we, we claim this identity as Christian, as a Jesus follower, as a disciple, it's not because we just love rules so much and we can't wait to follow all of them. It's really we want to be a part of something deeper and authentic. We want our faith to be real. And so we come and we sit and we sing and we listen to scripture and we listen to some guy talk up here because we want to find that. We want to know that there's something deeper and more meaningful going on and we want to be attached to that, rooted in that, planted in that. And that's what we hope to find. Is that authentic faith in our life that leads us to the true life that God has for us. So that's where we're going over these uh, weeks in this series, Seeds of a Better Life. I hope you join us for each and every one of the weeks because it, I mean, just just looking over the plan, I'm even like, I can't wait. (laughs) I can't wait for this. And, And I hope you're all there too. Because I want to search together what it means to be authentic in our life and in our faith. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for this day, the chance to gather together, to sing of our love and admiration, God, our adoration of you, to shape our affections toward you. God, we desire nothing more than you to be the forefront of our lives, but it's not always easy. So we come here, God, confessing that we haven't always done it well, but also, God, expressing our desire to do it better, because we want the life that you want for us, the real life, God, the full life, the righteous life, the better life. Help us to find that stream, God, so we might plant ourselves there near you so that we might draw from you the goodness and the beauty of life. It's in your name we pray. Amen.